section forty four of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten continued walter scott seventeen seventy one eighteen thirty two we have already called attention to two significant movements of the eighteenth century which we must for a moment recall if we are to appreciate scott not simply as a delightful teller of tales but as a tremendous force in modern literature the first is the triumph of romantic poetry in wordsworth and coleridge the second is the success of our first english novelists and the popularization of literature by taking it from the control of a few patrons and critics and putting it into the hands of the people as one of the forces which mould our modern life scott is an epitome of both these movements the poetry of wordsworth and coleridge was read by a select few but scott's marmion and lady of the lake aroused a whole nation to enthusiasm and for the first time romantic poetry became really popular so also the novel had been content to paint men and women of the present until the wonderful series of waverley novels appeared when suddenly by the magic of this wizard of the north all history seemed changed the past which had hitherto appeared as a dreary region of dead heroes became alive again and filled with a multitude of men and women who had the surprising charm of reality it is of small consequence that scott's poetry and prose are both faulty that his poems are read chiefly for the story rather than for their poetic excellence and that much of the evident crudity and barbarism of the middle ages is ignored or forgotten in scott's writings by their vigor their freshness their rapid action and their breezy out-of-door atmosphere scott's novels attracted thousands of readers who else had known nothing of the delights of literature he is therefore the greatest known factor in establishing and in popularizing that romantic element in prose and poetry which has been for a hundred years the chief characteristic of our literature life scott was born in edinburgh on august fifteenth seventeen seventy one on both his mother's and father's side he was descended from old border families distinguished more for their feuds and fighting than for their intellectual attainments his father was a barrister a just man who often lost clients by advising them to be first of all honest in their lawsuits his mother was a woman of character and education strongly imaginative a teller of tales which stirred young walter's enthusiasm by revealing the past as a world of living heroes as a child scott was lame and delicate and was therefore sent away from the city to be with his grandmother in the open country at sandy knowe in roxburghshire near the tweed this grandmother was a perfect treasure-house of legends concerning the old border feuds from her wonderful tales scott developed that intense love of scottish history and tradition which characterizes all his work by the time he was eight years old when he returned to edinburgh scott's tastes were fixed for life at the high school he was a fair scholar but without enthusiasm being more interested in border stories than in the textbooks he remained at school only six or seven years 
and then entered his father's office to study law at the same time attending lectures at the university he kept this up for some six years without developing any interest in his profession not even when he passed his examinations and was admitted to the bar in seventeen ninety two after nineteen years of desultory work in which he showed far more zeal in gathering highland legends than in gaining clients he had won two small legal offices which gave him enough income to support him comfortably his home meanwhile was at ashestiel on the tweed where all his best poetry was written scott's literary work began with the translation from german of bürger's romantic ballad of lenore seventeen ninety six and of goethe's goetz von berklingen seventeen ninety nine but there was romance enough in his own loved highlands and in eighteen o two eighteen o three appeared three volumes of his minstrelsy of the scottish border which he had been collecting for many years in eighteen o five when scott was thirty-four years old appeared his first original work the lady of the last minstrel its success was immediate and when marmion eighteen o eight and the lady of the lake eighteen ten aroused scotland and england to intense enthusiasm and brought unexpected fame to the author without in the least spoiling his honest and lovable nature scott gladly resolved to abandon the law in which he had won scant success and give himself wholly to literature unfortunately however in order to increase his earnings he entered secretly into partnership with the firms of constable and the brothers ballantine as printer publishers a sad mistake indeed and the cause of that tragedy which closed the life of scotland's greatest writer the year eighteen eleven is remarkable for two things in scott's life in this year he seems to have realized that notwithstanding the success of his poems he had not yet found himself that he was not a poetic genius like burns that in his first three poems he had practically exhausted his material though he still continued to write verse and that if he was to keep his popularity he must find some other work the fact that only a year later byron suddenly became the popular favorite shows how correctly scott had judged himself and the reading public which was even more fickle than usual in this emotional age in that same year eighteen eleven scott bought the estate at abbotsford on the tweed with which place his name is forever associated here he began to spend large sums and to dispense the generous hospitality of a scotch laird of which he had been dreaming for years in eighteen twenty he was made a baronet and his new title of sir walter came nearer to turning his honest head than had all his literary success his business partnership was kept secret and during all the years when the waverley novels were the most popular books in the world their authorship remained unknown for scott deemed it beneath the dignity of his title to earn money by business or literature and sought to give the impression that the enormous sum spent at abbotsford in improving the estate and in entertaining lavishly were part of the dignity of the position and came from ancestral sources it was the success of byron's child harold and the comparative failure of scott's later poems 
rokeby the bridal of triermain and the lord of the isles which led our author into the new field where he was to be without rival rummaging through a cabinet one day in search of some fishing tackle scott found the manuscript of a story which he had begun and laid aside nine years before he read this old story eagerly as if it had been another's work finished it within three weeks and published it without signing his name the success of this first novel waverley eighteen fourteen was immediate and unexpected its great sales and the general chorus of praise for its unknown author were without precedent and when guy mannering the antiquary black dwarf old mortality rob roy and the heart of midlothian appeared within the next four years england's delight and wonder knew no bounds not only at home but also on the continent large numbers of these fresh and fascinating stories were sold as fast as they could be printed during the seventeen years which followed the appearance of waverley scott wrote on an average nearly two novels per year creating an unusual number of characters and illustrating many periods of scotch english and french history from the time of the crusades to the fall of the stuarts in addition to these historical novels he wrote tales of a grandfather demonology and witchcraft biographies of dryden and of swift the life of napoleon in nine volumes and a large number of articles for the reviews and magazines it was an extraordinary amount of literary work but it was not quite so rapid and spontaneous as it seemed he had been very diligent in looking up old records and we must remember that in nearly all his poems and novels scott was drawing upon a fund of legend tradition history and poetry which he had been gathering for forty years and which his memory enabled him to produce at will with almost the accuracy of an encyclopedia for the first six years scott held himself to scottish history giving us in nine remarkable novels the whole of scotland its heroism its superb faith and enthusiasm and especially its clannish loyalty to its hereditary chiefs giving us also all parties and characters from covenanters to royalists and from kings to beggars after reading these nine volumes we know scotland and scotchmen as we can know them in no other way in eighteen nineteen he turned abruptly from scotland and in ivanhoe the most popular of his works showed what a mine of neglected wealth lay just beneath the surface of english history it is hard to realize now as we read its rapid melodramatic action its vivid portrayal of saxon and norman character and all its picturesque details that it was written rapidly at a time when the author was suffering from disease and could hardly repress an occasional groan from finding its way into the rapid dictation it stands to-day as the best example of the author's own theory that the will of a man is enough to hold him steadily against all obstacles to the task of doing what he has a mind to do kenilworth nigel peveril and woodstock all written in the next few years show his grasp of the romantic side of english annals count robert and the talisman show his enthusiasm for the heroic side of the crusader's nature and quentin durward and anne of geierstein suggest another mine of romance which he discovered in french history 
for twenty years scott labored steadily at literature with the double object of giving what was in him and of earning large sums to support the lavish display which he deemed essential to a laird of scotland in eighteen twenty six while he was blithely at work on woodstock the crash came not even the vast earnings of all these popular novels could longer keep the wretched business of ballantine on its feet and the firm failed after years of mismanagement though a silent partner scott assumed full responsibility and at fifty-five years of age sick suffering and with all his best work behind him he found himself facing a debt of over half a million dollars the firm could easily have compromised with its creditors but scott refused to hear of bankruptcy laws under which he could have taken refuge he assumed the entire debt as a personal one and set resolutely to work to pay every penny times were indeed changed in england when instead of a literary genius starving until some wealthy patron gave him a pension this man aided by his pen alone could confidently begin to earn that enormous amount of money and this is one of the unnoticed results of the popularization of literature without a doubt scott would have accomplished the task had he been granted only a few years of health he still lived at abbotsford which he had offered to his creditors but which they generously refused to accept and in two years by miscellaneous work had paid some two hundred thousand dollars of his debt nearly half of this sum coming from his life of napoleon a new edition of the waverley novels appeared which was very successful financially and scott had every reason to hope that he would soon face the world owing no man a penny when he suddenly broke under the strain in eighteen thirty occurred a stroke of paralysis from which he never fully recovered though after a little time he was again at work dictating with splendid patience and resolution he writes in his diary at this time the blow is a stunning one i suppose for i scarcely feel it it is singular but it comes with as little surprise as if i had a remedy ready yet god knows i am at sea in the dark and the vessel leaky it is good to remember that governments are not always ungrateful and to record that when it became known that a voyage to italy might improve scott's health the british government promptly placed a naval vessel at the disposal of a man who had led no armies to the slaughter but had only given pleasure to multitudes of peaceable men and women by his stories he visited malta naples and rome but in his heart he longed for scotland and turned homeward after a few months of exile the river tweed the scotch hills the trees of abbotsford the joyous clamour of his dogs brought forth the first exclamation of delight which had passed scott's lips since he sailed away he died in september of the same year eighteen thirty two and was buried with his ancestors in the old dryburgh abbey works of scott scott's work is of a kind which the critic gladly passes over leaving each reader to his own joyous and uninstructed opinion from a literary viewpoint the works are faulty enough if one is looking for faults but it is well to remember that they were intended to give delight and that they rarely fail of their object 
when one has read the stirring marmion or the more enduring lady of the lake felt the heroism of the crusaders in the talisman the picturesqueness of chivalry in ivanhoe the nobleness of soul of a scotch peasant girl in the heart of midlothian and the quality of scotch faith in old mortality then his own opinion of scott's genius will be of more value than all the criticisms that have ever been written scott's poetry at the outset we must confess frankly that scott's poetry is not artistic in the highest sense and that it lacks the deeply imaginative and suggestive qualities which make a poem the noblest and most enduring work of humanity we read it now not for its poetic excellence but for its absorbing story interest even so it serves an admirable purpose marmion and the lady of the lake which are often the first long poems read by the beginner in literature almost invariably lead to a deeper interest in the subject and many readers owe to these poems an introduction to the delights of poetry they are an excellent beginning therefore for young readers since they are almost certain to hold the attention and to lead indirectly to an interest in other and better poems aside from this scott's poetry is marked by vigor and youthful abandon its interest lies in its vivid pictures its heroic characters and especially in its rapid action and succession of adventures which hold and delight us still as they held and delighted the first wandering readers and one finds here and there terse descriptions or snatches of song and ballad like the boat song and lochinvar which are among the best known in our literature scott's novels in his novels scott plainly wrote too rapidly and too much while a genius of the first magnitude the definition of genius as the infinite capacity for taking pains hardly belongs to him for details of life and history for finely drawn characters and for tracing the logical consequences of human action he has usually no inclination he sketches a character roughly plunges him into the midst of stirring incidents and the action of the story carries us on breathlessly to the end so his stories are largely adventure stories at the best and it is this element of adventure and glorious action rather than the study of character which makes scott a perennial favorite of the young the same element of excitement is what causes mature readers to turn from scott to better novelists who have more power to delineate human character and to create or discover a romantic interest in the incidents of everyday life rather than in stirring adventure note see scott's criticism of his own work in comparison with jane austen's End of note. scott's work for literature notwithstanding these limitations it is well especially in these days when we hear that scott is outgrown to emphasize four noteworthy things that he accomplished one he created the historical novel note scott's novels were not the first to have an historical basis for thirty years preceding the appearance of waverley historical romances were popular but it was due to scott's genius that the historical novel became a permanent type of literature see cross the development of the english novel End of note. 
and all novelists of the last century who draw upon history for their characters and events are followers of scott and acknowledge his mastery two his novels are on a vast scale covering a very wide range of action and are concerned with public rather than with private interests so with the exception of the bride of lammermoor the love story in his novels is generally pale and feeble but the strife and passions of big parties are magnificently portrayed a glance over even the titles of his novels show how the heroic side of history for over six hundred years finds expression in his pages and all the parties of these six centuries crusaders covenanters cavaliers roundheads papists jews gypsies rebels start into life again and fight or give a reason for the faith that is in them no other novelist in england and only balzac in france approaches scott in the scope of his narratives three scott was the first novelist in any language to make the scene an essential element in the action he knew scotland and loved it and there is hardly an event in any of his scottish novels in which we do not breathe the very atmosphere of the place and feel the presence of its moors and mountains the place moreover is usually so well chosen and described that the action seems almost to be the result of natural environment perhaps the most striking illustration of this harmony between scene and incident is found in old mortality where morton approaches the cave of the old covenanter and where the spiritual terror inspired by the fanatic struggle with imaginary fiends is paralleled by the physical terror of a gulf and a roaring flood spanned by a slippery tree trunk a second illustration of the same harmony of scene and incident is found in the meeting of the arms and ideals of the east and west when the two champions fight in the burning desert and then eat bread together in the cool shade of the oasis as described in the opening chapter of the talisman a third illustration is found in that fascinating love scene where ivanhoe lies wounded raging at his helplessness while the gentle rebecca alternately hides and reveals her love as she describes the terrific assault on the castle which goes on beneath her window his thoughts are all on the fight hers on the man she loves and both are natural and both are exactly what we expect under the circumstances these are but striking examples of the fact that in all his works scott tries to preserve perfect harmony between the scene and the action four scott's chief claim to greatness lies in the fact that he was the first novelist to recreate the past that he changed our whole conception of history by making it to be not a record of dry facts but a stage on which living men and women played their parts carlyle's criticism is here most pertinent these historical novels have taught this truth unknown to writers of history that the bygone ages of the world were actually filled by living men not by protocols state papers controversies and abstractions of men not only the pages of history but all the hills and vales of his beloved scotland are filled with living characters lords and ladies soldiers pirates gypsies preachers schoolmasters clansmen bailiffs dependents 
all scotland is here before our eyes in the reality of life itself it is astonishing with his large numbers of characters that scott never repeats himself naturally he is most at home in scotland and with humble people scott's own romantic interest in feudalism caused him to make his lords altogether too lordly his aristocratic maidens are usually bloodless conventional exasperating creatures who talk like books and pose like figures in an old tapestry but when he describes characters like genie deans in the heart of midlothian and the old clansman evan dhu in waverley we know the very soul of scotch womanhood and manhood perhaps one more thing should be said or rather repeated of scott's enduring work he is always sane wholesome manly inspiring we know the essential nobility of human life better and we are better men and women ourselves because of what he has written End of section forty four